0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Today, I conduct a conversation with a German conductor who went through the Kapellmeister system, holding positions at six different theatres. She has subsequently gone on to become Principal Guest Conductor at the Lati Symphony Orchestra in Finland, and in 2021, she became Chief Conductor of the Residentie Orchestra in The Hague. It's a great pleasure to welcome Anja Bielmeyer. Anya it's lovely to meet you for the first time and to speak with you today how are you
1: Oh thanks for the invitation I'm very fine and I'm very much looking forward
0: Good so am I um you may be the first conductor I think I've ever interviewed who on their wikipedia page and I know you don't we don't write our own wikipedia pages but it lists that the first instrument that you played is the recorder, um, which which is always very interesting. I think for most of us, it would be the recorder at school when they handed it out. Um, musical family. I, I also read that your parents sang in church choirs. But were they musical, uh, music lovers? And how did you first get to the recorder and then go on to the piano and the violin?
1: Yeah, my family, they just love music and they sing and they play a little bit of piano. But that, uh, yeah, but my brother and me, we started uh, with a recorder, like, Hmm. yeah, (laughs) Yeah. like many people. And we, at that time, we haven't had a, a piano in our house, just an accordion. And my father played also clarinet. But yeah, we started with recorder and it was nice. And and I decided to to go as far as I could. And I did it quite a while and and tried out all the different sorts of recorders and also gave lessons then at the music school when I was, I think, 14, something like that. Great. Um, But I mean... uh, it was when I got to the higher school, like to the gymnasium, then I really wanted to play in an orchestra and with recorder, I was just a soloist in a Vivaldi concerto, which was nice, but I really wanted to be not just in the choir, but also a part of the orchestra. And then the teacher there um, gave me a violin because at that time we had not so much money at home. So it, mm. I, it was not possible for my parents to buy an instrument and, no, yeah, but then I got violin lessons and was able to play in the orchestra that was lovely and then later on also they told my parents oh it would be good if she also could try the piano and because you need it if you want to study uh, an instrument you need piano and so I, I think I was 13 quite late and mm. it becomes my first instrument then piano
0: well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to come on to uh, the piano and the Kapellmeister system, which is, you know, uh, throughout the hundred odd episodes, it, it's appeared fairly regularly. Um, Interesting that you're saying about, you know, the teacher who give, gave you a violin. I was exactly the same. I started the violin when I was nine and the teacher where we were living at the time, it was free lessons and I was given a free violin. But when we moved away from there, then my parents had to find some money to yeah. buy buy a cheap violin, or, uh, which I still got. It's in the room next to me somewhere. Um, right. It's the only, only one I, I own. But, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I have it, The minute you talked about being a soloist, I remember that Thierry Fisher also started on the recorder and did actually play concertos before he turned to the flute. So you're not the only one. But what's interesting is that you immediately discovered that you wanted to play in an orchestra, which, you know, that's, to me, that's my love, orchestras, maybe more than the violin. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for me, it was such a great thing because the music teacher at school, uh, he was a great conductor. He was very passionate, and I really wanted to to be a part of the orchestra and just to to feel the uh, the emotions. And also, mm. I was, um, as you can imagine, I I started uh, playing violin, so it takes a while until you really can play it uh, somehow yeah. properly. But then I was, I, know, I played second violin, and we played Dvorak from the New World, and I maybe I played only every tenth note. I don't know. <laughs> every, everybody around me was so brilliant, and I had the feeling, oh, I'm a part of this brilliant ma- music making, and uh, yeah, and it's it was it was really fascinating for me. Uh,
0: look, so, I, I'm giggling away as you just yeah. heard because. I had exactly the same experience with exactly the same piece. I joined my local youth really? so, when I was about 13 or 14, and they were playing the New World Symphony. I don't think we did it all. I think we did the first, second, and fourth movements, maybe. And, I, I yeah, I was nowhere near playing any of it. Um, and it, But it, it was the community corporate experience that I loved. And then, of course, what happens is that you you feel well if I practice harder then I will be able to contribute more uh, rather than just sit here looking like I don't know what I'm doing Um, and yeah that's very important but yeah I was like it was Medway Music Centre about 1983 something like that yeah Borgette New World Symphony and I remember it passing me by thinking I can't play any of this stuff
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was yeah. I, I, I still know the feeling and it was great and and we went also to week and practice specific events with the school and we did miniature operas and 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 symphonic pieces and it was really a new world for me and I I enjoyed it so much and I mm. found out that I don't want to do anything in, in life mm. but making music makes me really happy and this teacher also, Uh, Saw that, that I'm really fascinated about that. And he, um, yeah, suggested to go for a conducting course. He suggested that to me when I was, I mean, maybe 16 or 17. We could choose for music as a main uh, subject at Mm. school. It was like a music school. So there also I learned to conduct. And it was because of this music teacher and also some other music teachers in the school. And that's why I think it's so important also for the younger generations that they're teachers that you have music at school that somebody shows you that sure my parents they always they like music and, and we sang at home but it's but they had no idea about the how, that you can do that professionally or yeah I mean they encouraged me to to go for it but mm. um, without this teacher I would never yeah also yeah, I, uh, not discovered Oprah for example we <laughs> in a small village there was nothing
0: yeah, yeah. and then
1: I, I I just learned it from, yeah, from this lovely teacher at school.
0: Well, the word teacher is going to come up a, quite a lot in the next, I don't know, five, ten minutes, because uh, you eventually go to the Hochschule for music in Freiburg and do a conducting diploma. With your teacher, it's listed as being somebody called Scott Sandmeyer. Now, I haven't asked this question for a while, but was he a stick technique guy or a score study guy, or did he have uh, overall holistic approach to conducting? What was it like with Scott?
1: Yeah, interesting question. I think he was very much into technique, um, but not like how you move the stick. It was like all about sound and, and also how to... How to communicate with your whole body, and and then first of all, what ideas do you have about the music? What do you want to tell? Mm. And he always asked us nearly every lesson. Yeah, why do you want to become a conductor? Why do you want to conduct this piece? Or what is the idea? And if you, yeah, if we haven't an idea, he just sent us home or said, yeah, you think about because yeah. if when you're in, standing in front of the orchestra, you have such a huge. Uh, yeah what is the responsibility for the music and and also here you you're in front of all professional artists Mm. so Mm. you you have to know why are you doing and if you have to say something and if you don't have to say something there's yeah don't go there
0: Mm. well it's very interesting because you know sometimes you look at people who are who teach mainly technique and stick technique and Sometimes, I, you know, the with the names I've encountered before, the, the word sound isn't really linked to it. It's more about clarity and ensemble rather than thinking about the sound and the music. Whereas there are other people who also teach like that who are very obsessed with drawing the sound from the orchestra by what you do with your gestures. Um, so it sounds like he was very much in that world rather than just thinking about ensemble and clarity. And would I be right in thinking that? He was well, about drawing the sound out.
1: Yeah, I mean the main important sentence was always uh, one is down. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so don't make it too complicated, but also be normal. Yeah. And being normal is very tricky in a way. So a normal means normal moving, normal movements that that it's clear and that people. Yeah. I mean, you do lots of weird things. Yes. And it's like it's non-verbal communication, as you know, and and. Um, Yeah, and if you talk too much with your hands or too less, or if you don't listen, then it's not a nice communication with the orchestra and you cannot communicate the idea. So it was a lot about also just thinking about what are you doing, what do you want to achieve and how can you be authentic and normal and use your body and your, yes, your body to create sound and not trying to do something just with a stick or... It was just how can we do that? And a lot about breathing and that the breath is very important just to be normal and to be relaxed also in a way and to give the energy in a normal way not to be tensed mm. or wrongly so that was always a big issue
0: well i mean the phrase that i use when i teach and i suspect that it sounds like scott may well agree with me here when if i teach using video for instance i will pause it and say look at what you're doing with your hands and your arms here that's not what I consider to be universal body language. There are things that we all do that it doesn't matter where we are in the world. If we did that body language, somebody would understand what we're talking about, you know, and, and. And we, as conductors, we can use that all of the time. But there are certain positions we get ourselves in, and you think, well, that's just a dance move, and I, I don't understand what that means. How, what are you communicating to the orchestra? So it sounds like we would very much get on, uh, Scott, and I, yeah. in the way that I teach them, the <laughs> way that I think that conducting should be. You know, um, just things that we can all understand without opening our mouths and explaining it. You can do that with with conducting.
1: Yes, and it was for him very important that it works without telling something. So we were never allowed to, we are now doing in three, four, please show, or it has to be clear. And that helped me a lot, actually, in in the beginning, for example, Mm. also in the German system, when you you just get, when you start as a repetitor, for example, with dirigierverpflichtung, and then you get... Uh, maybe one chance uh, conducting an opera but you just go there jumping in you have no rehearsal and it has to work and if the orchestra yeah. can follow if you're not clear if it's now nah, yeah then it was your first and also last time so you have to <laughs> survive yeah, yeah. if your language is not clear then it's much more tricky and, and it's less and less time on the podium so the clearer you are the easier it is to mm. get along and just to survive first of all. And I think that's very important, especially in the beginning of a career.
0: Well, we're going to get to the Kapellmeister system and how to survive fairly soon. But as I said, we're going to stick with teachers and you had various scholarships to appear first of all for a year at the mozartium salzburg with teachers dennis russell davis and i don't know how you pronounce this is it Hoge rotter um or george rotter yeah. 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 yeah and then for 3 years you were with um uh, I, I normally write this down in german but today i did it in english the conductors forum or the dirigenten forum uh, in uh, germany and there are whole loads of names listed, but the ones I'm going to mention, including other mentors as well, Sean Edwards, Gunter Herbig, Kenneth Kiesler, Jack Van Steen, Giordano Campi, Anthony Hermes, at least three names on there I've interviewed here. My question here is, who would you consider to be your biggest influences through all of the names of people you've had mentorship with or masterclasses with or actual lessons with over that time? Who would you consider to be your biggest influences?
1: That's hard to say. I think yeah. it, it's really a mixture. Mm. It's uh, there's there's not the one person. Um, every of those persons gave me something, and I think that's that's very interesting in in our conducting lives that we can learn and we have to learn every day and every time when we work with an orchestra or just live our lives and what I have learned from Scott Sandmeyer is that you have to watch you have Mm. to look you have to listen and you take from people what you think is good for for you it's like a bag and he said Mm. collect everything and and be smart and that's what I tried to do, to listen and to watch. And, and, and I tried things out and I found out maybe that's not working for me, but that's a, a nice idea. Let's go further. And so over the years, um, I developed my own thing or how I listen to people or I know now to whom I can listen or whatever. So it's tricky to say.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I like the bag analogy. Uh, I mean, maybe I would use a different analogy that we're all a sponge and all of this information is water that goes in the sponge, and we want our sponge as full as possible. We just have to hope that the bits that drip out and fall on the floor are the bits (laughs) that we don't need anymore. You know, that's what you... I mean, you've almost answered my next question, which is, you know, how do you process that so much information when surely sometimes you're going to stand in front of, you know, any of those names there in in a masterclass situation, or even watch from the side somebody else being uh taught and you're going to st- sit there and think well that's in the complete opposite of what i've been told before how do- now how did you go through that process of trying to filter out what was good for you as a you know uh, when you were being told total opposite things by two different teachers
1: yeah, that's, that's like the process and um, you have to go through To you try different things out and then you find out or that's at least what I'm thinking at the moment or mm. since a while that I'm more and more try to really get to know what is in the score what I want to bring out why do I think have the composer done this piece and then it's about how can I communicate to the orchestra this and then I, I show something with with my body language and then I hear it and then I try to either to take it or to go further so that that what I think how it should sound that this come out comes out so it's a little bit the same like practicing an instrument it does not matter how it feels or how it looks in a way you you have a sound ideal and then you and then you practice hard and it's about listening Mm. and that's what I found out for for myself so I I listen what is the orchestra doing how does it sound and how should it sound and then I adjust things to that
0: yes exactly and and Mm.
1: that's yeah and then also in your way how you how you conduct it's it's I think the best conductors are those who really know what is important and what is not so important and that's what what the great conductors I think what they're really great at. So they listen only to the necessary things and leave the mm. other things out. And that comes with uh, over the years. Mm.
0: Well, it sounds um, again, like you, we have a similar attitude in the fact that, you know, you're listening all of the time hard to what's coming at you and then respond. But yes. what, you know, what you're not doing is, is, you know, and I could level this, this accusation at some of our colleagues what you're not doing is putting together a, 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 you know, a dance routine and hope that what comes back at you fits into (laughs) your dance routine. You know, there are times you, you can almost sit there, you know, like riding a bicycle with no hands on the handlebars. You don't have to do anything because the orchestra are doing it wonderfully anyway. But there are other times when you have to grab the handlebars and steer violently to the left to help us not crash. And, and, if you don't do that, because you know that doesn't fit into your dance routine, it's, you're going to crash. Um, uh, orchestras need need our help occasionally, sometimes more often than not sometimes not at all uh, and, and we have to be aware of that don't we
1: yes absolutely I agree it's the experience thing and you never can practice that at home because you don't no. have the instrument orchestra at home you don't have the people it's every day it's different and it's a communication and it's very lively as you know when you yeah. have to feel the people you have to know your music and you are in the middle and you have to bring the people together all your artists and mm. to feel what do they need now or what is your vision or their vision is it the same or Shall we do something in between or something completely different? Or is it nice to to really join the sound of an orchestra and not to because it's it's like like in a marriage, I feel a, a little bit <laughs> like so. And you cannot say I love you if you do this and this and this, and that, but if you <laughs> love somebody or if you wanna yeah. yeah, in that moment do something together, you have also to accept that there's an, an yeah, they have also an, an idea of how how their sound is or how the way how they approach things you cannot play the same bit of like the same style with every orchestra it's not that it's you it's that's or at least i that's how i feel it i don't know how do you feel
0: i absolutely agree with you yeah totally agree with you you know each each orchestra and i've used this analogy before uh this metaphor before uh, and excuse me listeners for saying it again but and you won't have heard it I always say that the orchestra is like a cake or a gatto and it's presented to you on the Monday morning. If it's a symphonic work and you start conducting and you go, Oh, lovely cake. I really like the cake, but actually I'd like three tiers of cake, not two tiers of cake. And I'd like to change the icing from, you know, fondant icing to chocolate icing. And, uh, and, but basically, what you're not destroying is the cake. You're, you know, you might change the shape of it. You might decide that the, the top doesn't have icing or whatever. The point is that what you're not doing is looking at the cake, going, "Oh, nice cake," throwing it away, and then making a new one. You know that, which is I think some conductors do that every week. They have to make it sound exactly the same. Well, orchestras have personalities. You know, they can't can't always bend to that. You know, so sometimes you have to look at the cake, and go, "Oh, great! I know how to make it sound." or look the word taste the way I want it to. Do you agree with that sort of
1: Yes, I mean, uh, if somebody has a really a specific vision and wants to do that and it's also, I mean, a possibility, but it for is. me yeah. it's quite fascinating to live a little bit of freedom mm. for for the artist because yeah. I cannot know everything and I don't so you have all the art and and, and the thing is if you can bring people together Or then in the end, the result is so much more interesting. Mm. It's not a democratic process, for sure not. That's why you're not, they engage you because you should make decisions. It's not chamber music and chamber music rehearsals normally, they take much (laughs) longer. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that everybody can like have an idea and do this and that. So I think that's why also why it helps to have a leader Mm. to make the decisions or get a little bit quicker to the point. But it's interesting to to leave as much space or yeah for creativity, I think. And then mm. also in the concert, then yeah, it's it's something magic then, and and it's lovely to have open and and free people there instead of just producing the same thing. Mm. More yeah, I don't know. I I, I find that more interesting and also more. Spontaneity,
0: yeah. I like yeah, uh, I uh, like, and it's yeah. like yeah. life,
1: like it's a yeah. risk and 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 we go for it and uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I like risk taking and spontaneity, and yeah, it, it, sometimes it's going to go wrong. But when you when you get it goes right, it's much more exciting. And yeah, you uh, and <laughs> I and the audience can feel it. You know, they can feel when an orchestra, especially people are going here, they're at same orchestra week in week out, then they feel the orchestra's really playing and really lifting up and really inspired. Um Yeah, they can feel it. They can definitely. Yeah,
1: it's it's don't you think so? It's so nice when the energy from the from the audience, and then they focus, concentrate, and they feel it, and then you get. Mm-hmm this energy all around and then it's like a circle closes yeah. you, you rehearse it's one thing but then in the concert when the energy and they listen and they feel it mm. and this inspires also us a lot mm. I think
0: now we mentioned it earlier the piano became your your instrument and you cannot enter the German Kapellmeister system without being a pianist let's face it you can't do that right. and if we if we look at your the the places you've been it's almost like it shows that the whole system off for you, because you've had every single position, out, pretty much except for a game day, you've not quite been the absolute, am I right in thinking that yet? Yes. No, not yes. quite yet. So, for instance, I'm just going to quickly, dear listener, list the places that anja has been. Between uh, 06 and 2010, you were Repetitor with Conducting Duties, is that correct? At Theatre Coburg, Theatre Gürlitz, and Theatre for Sachsen-Hildesheim. Then, between 2010 and 2013, you were second Kapel Master and Assistant to the General Music Director, Theatre Chemnitz, the same position, 13 to 15, at starts at Hanover. And then 15 to 18, you became first Kapellmeister and deputy general music director at the Starts Theatre Castle. Now, that's quite a system, isn't it? There's this pyramid and, and sort of working system. When you start in the Kapellmeister system, is that laid out in front of you? You know that this is where you're going to start right at the beginning, repetituring, And as you said earlier, suddenly needing to jump in for one performance of an opera with no rehearsal, knowing that eventually through many, many, many years and theatres that you're going to go to the top. Is that all laid out in front of you when you start?
1: No, and uh, actually in Freiburg I have not done that much opera, and I have had didn't have the idea about this system so much. That yeah. came when I went to Salzburg, and uh, there I learned about the system, and I just learned yeah that's maybe the easiest way to get into into conducting, becoming yeah. a repetitor and then step by step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I thought, okay, why not trying that? And and yeah, and then I I started with this, and then you find out, okay, you have uh, different systems, different houses. It's from A to D. Uh, like in like a football, you ah. have leagues, and then I yeah every two years I decided to to, to do the next step or it's it's like uh, applications and many people want to have the job. It's it's quite tricky, um, honestly, to ah. to get through it, uh, especially when it's coming to capelmeister uh, positions. Many many people apply and 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 yeah. So but I tried that and so every second year I took the next higher position, next bigger house. And it was perfect for me because I learned everything and yeah. Uh, yeah and and did it. and I saw many people, many singers, and I saw many conductors and also the way how you maybe should not do it or how you should not treat people mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, be yeah, so it's uh, it's a tough system and um, yeah and and after that, everything is really much easier. yeah it's it's a tough thing, really.
0: yeah you're not the first person to say tough. Um, the first person I interviewed on here to talk about the Capel Meister system was Kevin John Edusay and oh, yeah. he, he called it brutal I've then uh, you know asked that of Alexander Joel of Anthony Hermos of Leslie Suganda Nandaraja uh, all of them going through and they when I mentioned the word brutal there there was a nod and a smile and a you know uh, I mean if you look at the 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 other thing I've often said about this system is that you know, there are there are so many different types of conductors and conducting career. You get the ones who are in their early twenties who win a competition and then they're out on the stage straight away. We see them at symphony orchestras, we see them doing opera. There are others like myself who were orchestra musicians and then emerge later on. This kapellmeister system, it's almost like you're in a cocoon like a butterfly. You were there for 12 years, between 2006 and 2018 in six different houses. And then all of a sudden, this person emerges, this butterfly emerges into the world. You think, where, where has she come from? But the point is, you've been buried away, you know, repetituring or or being a second capellmeister and then a first Um, But then you come out fully formed. That's the point. You don't come out like half a butterfly. You come out like a fully formed butterfly. So brutal it might be, but amazing training it is.
1: Yes, it is amazing training. And also, I mean, I moved then from Hanover to Kassel because of this position. You had three symphony concerts there. And that's really rare in Germany. Oh. That's not normally. Normally, normal, uh, they, they engage guest conductors doing symphonic things. But in Kassel, I really had at least three and sometimes four, even five, because my, my chief the chief conductor got sick sometimes. So um, symphonic concerts. And and that was lovely because the problem in the system in the German system is that you're very good at opera, <laughs> but you're not doing so much symphonic pieces. And for me, it's it's a different world, mm. symphony mm. and opera. I mean, sometimes I say it's it's it has to do. It's like with uh, yeah, cross country skiing and and downhill skiing. You have skis and, and snow and and whatever. But it's it's too completely. Yeah, it sounds a little yeah. bit weird. Maybe this comparison, but right. it's right. Really something yeah. something very different. And so I had the chance to get into the symphonic business um, and do that for, for a while in Kassel. That was really nice. And then that's what also was also the point when I got an agency and, and then suddenly I got uh, engagements and then I decided to stop this German system. And also I didn't want to become General Musik Director because you have to work and to stay at the house all the time and you cannot go for an international career. That's mm. very, very complicated. So you're really stuck in the system. And I'm quite happy that, uh, that I have now the possibility to, to have Oprah still because I love Oprah. In my life, but also the international business with symphonic conducting, and that's really lovely. So I was really lucky in a way that that's this butterfly thing.
0: Hmm. This nice,
1: (laughs) nice idea of you. Yeah, that this worked for me.
0: Uh, are you sure you haven't read the notes in my book? Because you've basically you've basically taken me to my next question exactly uh, the oh, question I was going to ask. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's wonderful uh, because you know I was going to ask about um, you know once you've left the opera the compel my system, how much opera you want to do each year, because all of a sudden there seems to be like a line drawn through your career as if to say, right, I've done opera now. I want to do symphonic work. And, you know, your biographies on uh, your agency and even on your own webpage list the people you've guested at. And they're all symphony orchestras. And of course, in the last two years, uh, you've become chief of the Residential Orchestra in The Hague and also principal guest at the Larty Symphony Orchestra. So obviously, symphonic is the way forward let's break that down first of all into the future do you plan to do an opera season or or just as they come in to keep your your hand busy with opera or or are you now totally in love with the symphonic world
1: no, no, I want to combine both. and there are many plans for opera now so that at least that I have one production per year and there are many nice things, but I cannot uh, announce them yet. But no, for this season, no. I can uh, tell you I'm doing the Flying Dutchman in Tampere in Finland. So that's my production. And then, and then another one with another house is coming in in the summer. And then the season after that, I have two productions. So it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm very happy that the opera is coming back into my life. And the point was in, uh, in covid one midnight summer night stream Britain was stopped at in Malmö. That was a pity. Mm. And it was very tricky in, in that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If
1: COVID. I mean, it, we continued a little bit in Vienna. That was quite good until it really stopped there as well. Yeah. With the new Zauberflöte and Carmen. and uh, yeah. So I'm I'm very happy that that the opera that we found time. It's very tricky to combine both and and yeah, and the mm. calendar gets easy full, and then and you need time. And then you don't know where to block or yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a puzzle but mm. it's to work now for the future. And I'm very happy. I don't want to give it up. I love opera.
0: Yeah. Um, therefore, you've made me think of one extra sub question, which is now you're out there and you've got two positions, you know, with orchestras, one in, as I said, in Holland and one in Finland. Uh, and you're definitely out there on the, you know, the world stage conducting symphonically. If a house offered you a game day job, let's say in three years time. Would you be tempted to take it knowing that you've already built up a symphonic career? Uh, I, I get the reason why you didn't want to go to Game Day through the system. I get that completely. But if you were offered one, let's say in three years' time, do you think you might take it?
1: It depends how much commitment that is. Yeah. And yeah. where. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because I, I love the Regie Theater mm. uh, system. So, and that's yeah it's not all over the world so that's one thing if I would do more opera so that is something I'm interested in um and but also it has to be a really big big house where where also like where you don't have to be there all the time and yes because then it's no no time for any symphonic anymore and i love it too so i have two hearts (laughs)
0: and and i i really
1: try to to have both of them
0: so it's not a no it's just it depends on who offers well yeah that's fine Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh you know going on to the going back to the time when the line was drawn you know underneath opera and you went out and started symphonic work you do what we all do which is guest conducting week after week uh, until you form a band of friends or a family of orchestras that you that they love you you love them and you see them every season so when you were doing that how did you find it? suddenly week in week out Monday morning put a downbeat down and you have no idea what is coming back or when or you know you have no idea what's and what strategies did you have you know did you have repertoire that you you would hopefully want to do when you when you worked with a guest orchestra for the first time. What were your strategies and 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 uh, remembrances of that time?
1: Now, yeah, it started step by step. When I was in Castle, still uh, engaged um, as the deputy uh, chief conductor there, uh, I had like my productions, my normal productions at the house, and then sometimes I had the chance to go cast conduct. Yeah. and I started in the Nordic regions. And so I had maybe four or five guest conducting weeks in a season, not that much, but it was always like, super super nice just to go away for a while to see something else and to come back to bring you new things from what you have experienced what you have learned Mm. and i mean scandinavia is a lovely region to conduct because people are very very professional as you know and super orchestras and i love the countryside and also the mentality of the people Mm. the modern societies and it was it was lovely for me to to be there and to also to uh, to see how easy it is to make Mm. making music with them and then um, when I decided to stop my position to be a freelance conductor then for sure you've got more weeks you have uh, traveling all around then it sometimes it was a bit stressful in the beginning because of the repertoire I haven't had that much repertoire and and if you start such a thing uh, people ask you to do this or that it's not that you can make the big choices at least that was worth it for me so mm. it was a lot of new repertoire and maybe also things which you don't like that much but you have <laughs> to be yeah you uh, just do it and be good and then you mm. get the next chance so that was a bit tough but now since some years it's lovely because I can ask them can we please do this or that and uh, and I can make decisions to which orchestras I want to go back or what is yeah it's it's really it's I think life is getting more and more interesting and more and, and, more, and more and more lovely and easier and easier that's the, the great thing about our job don't you think so it's this experience Absolutely. And, and you you enjoy it and it's it's uh, you're not the youngest uh, guy anymore on the stage so <laughs> you, know, and you can yeah, and you have experienced things. You know more about life, and and you can share that and be much more relaxed about everything. And yeah, I really enjoy it a lot.
0: You're yeah, absolutely right. You know that I can think of a couple of orchestras where, you know, you go because they want to see you conduct and they want to experience what you're like because they've been told you're good, and you turn up there for the first time. And you haven't cho- you haven't chosen any of the music at all. And sometimes, as you said, you have to conduct a piece that you particularly maybe don't like, but you have to be an advocate and you have to sell it to the the orchestra Mm -hmm. and then on to the audience. And then, you know, they like you and you like them and you go back and then you go back and then there comes that lovely moment when the, the intendant or the chief executive through your agent or directly says to you what would you like to do next time you come back you know, yeah and you think ah right okay yeah, right And you go to the point Absolutely. yeah you, exactly and it's yeah. lovely
1: in a way I mean maybe it's great to win a competition for sure but I have not I mean my prizes were not so big at, at my competitions uh, I, I just won one prize at the competition and it was yeah far too early for me also so many people can do that but for me it went really step by step and nobody gave me any present I just got maybe a small chance and then I took it and mm. then the next chance came and then step by. so everything what I have done is on, do, I have done it on my own and I'm mm. very proud about that I have to say and when I'm standing in front of, all, of an orchestra I'm still myself and and I, I know what I can do and I'm in, in peace with mm. myself and I can say yes I'm here and uh, I, I do what I can, and I know that it's not because of an agency or because of, I don't know. So it was not just luck. It was hard work. <laughs> like
0: here, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that is good, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, know, I... I, I I'm not sure I would, I'm not a good enough pianist, I'm not sure I'd have survived 12 years in the Kapellmeister system. Um, but I got my experience to be playing the violin in a, in a major symphony orchestra for, tw- you know, 22 years. And and that was hard work as well. You know, that, it wasn't sure. easy. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's getting to that stage where you can stand in front of an orchestra and go, you know, I've done the hard yards, as they say, in a sporting term. You know, I've put in my my 10,000 hours of, uh, to use another term from a book. I've done all of that sort of stuff. I know I can rely on that. And now, you know, let, let's just enjoy it and be free. Um, but I, behind me is a lot a lot of work you know and that, that's, that's very true.
1: Yes and experience and you have seen it from the other side I mean it's very mm. different for example if you as a violin player playing in the section and watching the conductor feeling that when I, um, I'm i I'm a very bad trombone player I, I, I've i just learned that while conducting because I wanted to get a little bit of an idea how it feels and I love the trombone I had the sound yeah. so I, I decided to, to go to this Lokar class in Freiburg and I had some lessons with them and, and it's still Helps me a lot. I played once in an orchestra, was César Frank Symphony on the second trombone. It was very, <laughs> and I was so much yeah worried about like counting correctly and playing because as a violinist, you know, it's not such a problem. You play all the time, yeah, so exactly, you, yeah, so yeah. Follow yeah the group if you're not the consumer whatever. So I understand now mm. because I have felt it myself how it is to be so far away from the conduct, being alone, being an, playing a louder instrument, doing this and that. So it's about this perspective thing and about lots of experience and and, and it's you have to know so many things mm. and, and on our position or to understand or just to be open and to be sensitive to so many aspects. So it's it's, it's great that oh. you have done that with your violin and, and that's why why are you so brilliant at your in in your job because of that. I think
0: so. Uh, going back to, you know, playing in orchestras and you have to know a lot more than everybody else. And you have to know you have to have experiences. And also going back to guest conducting, there was a point when virtually every piece that you were conducting was new. And I've asked this question of every single conductor. How do you go about learning a new score? Um, what's your process? Are you somebody who sits there uh, using your old piano skills and plays through the, the score and learns it that way? Do you take her overall big picture and then zoom in on details? Do you start at page one and work your way through? And the important thing is, are you a red, blue, black scribbler in your scores? Or do you like to keep your scores very clean? What's your process, Anya?
1: <laughs> I love colouring the scores. And uh, and sometimes I just uh, buy a new one and start again. If, if I have done the piece for maybe for the... Mm, yeah, if I have colored it 10 years ago, so maybe I knew, uh, need a new one or if I oh. have a new view. Um, but how do I start? Yeah, tricky. It, it, it really depends if I know the language already of the composer or if I don't know the language. And if you know the language, um, as you can imagine, then you sit there, you can read it and you know how it sounds and, and you understand it. If it's something I don't understand at all, then I sit at the go to my piano and, and try to figure out. Yeah and uh, yeah different Mm. things or I read something about it if I don't have to if I not really know what it's about or what is the history around so it's different ways how you you want to get to the secret of the piece Mm. and Mm. to find out how what is the architecture and how can you bring that out or what is yeah what is the secret of the piece is is it Mm. about colors is it about rhythm is it about the the whole architecture or is it about the dramaturgy or Uh, yeah I mean it can be so many different elements and that's what you have to find out quickly that you know what it's about and then you can work on those specific elements and Mm. then you use the tool you need together
0: and and when you you said you you like coloring scores I'm a I'm a red blue black person um but do you always use the same colors to mean the same thing I've spoken to other conductors who say yeah I use colors but I don't I'm not sure I have a system I just pick up the nearest color pencil and write something in but you know I know what my colors mean um, do you are you the same um, and yes, I have
1: a system yes, yes I have a system and and yeah. it's the same colors and also three, uh, just 3 4 uh, not more it's not like super because I want to have clarity and uh, yeah yeah Former times I was very bad in reading music, so I did everything from memory. But now I'm old, I cannot memorize anything, and I'm (laughs) able to read the music now. (laughs) 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 Color it, it, and and also, yeah. yeah.
0: And it helped. Yeah, I'm assuming, like me, it helps you learn the score by knowing that you've written these things in. I often i have said it, you know, I'll know what's coming on the next page because of what I've written before. I remember writing things in. I remember and that, that's my way of learning it. But
1: Yeah, mine too, yeah. Mm. You have right. a physical approach to it. And that's why, for example, the younger generations, they use this iPad or that the, everything is on this and then you can also color. But for me, I could never do that, I think. I'm too old-fashioned. I need to, to feel a paper. Mm. And also sometimes I make my own score. So I ask a, a lady in Bajma, she's doing beautiful scores. So with a specific color uh, cover and specific paper, a little bit thicker, I don't want this thin thing. It has to look and to be nice that you like to work with it. And, and, and yeah, mm. it, it's something special for me, a score.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, you can see behind me, you know, most of my scores are on the, uh, on the, the shelves behind me. And they're treasure to me. And when a new one comes, and I know it's going to join the club and sit on those shelves behind me, there's nothing like a new score to open it up and look at it and feel the paper. And I couldn't imagine putting everything that's behind me. Yeah, it would save on storage, but everything's there. You know, the pages, ripped pages that have been re taped or scotch-taped together because of something I've done. Or it's all part of your experience of conducting these things is to feel them and have them you know about your person and to use them all the time I feel I, I'm right I there's no way I could put it all on an iPad
1: yeah for me also not and it's also something I mean conducting the whole thing it's it's like it's it's a life it's not just a job it's yeah. it's for me it, it's 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 nothing different. I'm still always the same person. If I'm now talking with you or with the orchestra or whatever, I always I don't feel different. No. So this scores and going somewhere it's part of your life and your 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 story mm. and, and it's it's like a partner. And you have uh, yeah. And if I open it, then I know ah yeah, it was with this orchestra there and the, ah it was a nice nice day. And after that we went out. I don't know, I did some ice swimming with the colleagues or mm. it, it's like so many stories also around when I look at the scores and memories mm. and, and, and yeah.
0: Totally <laughs> agree with you. Are you a young conductor, thirsty for knowledge and wanting to discover more about the world of conducting? Then my Patreon page is there for you. I'm constantly posting new content there based on my experiences as a conductor and I have you the chance to ask me any question any time of the day. You will gain access to interviews, video posts, tour diaries, articles and so much more. If you pay for the whole year, then you will gain a 10% discount, and if you are a student, you can contact me directly and there will be a further discount. All of this can be found at patreon.com forward slash Podium, and from just £5 a month, you can gain access to this ever-growing resource on conductors and conducting. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Details and links to the page are in the show notes attached to this episode. Now, the all-important ten questions with my guest, Anya Bielmeier. Anya, it's that time when we must make our way through the ten questions, like every other conductor before you. And like every other conductor, I start with, what sound or noise do you love and what sound or noise do you hate?
1: Oh I I love the sound in the in the mountains in, in the summer in the evenings when it's really quiet and peaceful and clear and
0: yeah. And and, and the cowbells have stopped. Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It's just this very peaceful and, and yeah. uh, specific atmosphere. I love I love this sound, yeah.
0: Mm. And a sound you hate?
1: What do I hate? Yeah, for example, um, I really hate the pigeons on my rooftop when they <gasps> were scratches <Stephen. laughs> because I live here in the, in the top floor on the top floor, and then I can hear that and I have a stone roof and when they starting to, to scratch that's something I really don't like.
0: It's funny, I thought you were going to say, I mean this is way back, two years ago at least, Ed Gardner um said that he hated the sound of wood pigeons but it was the calling this because we were in the middle of lockdown and and all you you can he said it it stops me studying he said because i've got my head in a score and then all of a sudden a wood pigeon will sit outside the window (laughs) he said all music stops because of this repetitive rhythm i thought you were going to say that but yeah the scratching on the roof uh, you know i i have a similar thing here but yeah that, that bothers me less than the call of the bird Number three, if you had 24 hours free, what would you spend it doing?
1: Yeah, I'm a very flexible person and I always do what I feel like. So it could be very differently. For example, just staying in my bath, bathing tube <laughs> or, <laughs> or going to the Alps with my bike. Just uh, I, I love it going on the mountains with a bike or climbing or something like that. So it's it's always very spontaneous.
0: Mm. Yeah, you, if you were in a big city, somewhere you didn't know, are there certain areas, would you go and have a nice meal and a, a wander about, or are you a museum person, or an art gallery person, or again, are you just going to go with the flow and see what happens when you get there?
1: Yeah, it really depends what, yeah, for example, if the weather is brilliant, I would not go into a museum, for example, oh. then I, I would prefer to discover something out in the nature, uh, or if the weather is like, so it's, I don't know, it's... Or if I'm in the mood to have some nice food, then I yeah. do this or hanging out with friends or whatever. It's it's I do a lot of different things, but yeah. I, I just do what I feel like. I'm very yeah. spontaneous and I never know what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> Good. Uh, I agree with you. I'm very much the same. Number four. And you to remind you, you can have more than one or even if you've just got one favorite. But who would be your favorite conductor or conductors of yesteryear?
1: I love Abado because he was so elegant, and I love this Luzern Festival Orchestra because mm-hmm. this idea what he created of making music with friends and brilliant musicians together. That's I, I admire that a lot. Yeah. And also, I have to say, Simon Young was was really because it was the first female conductor who I have seen conducting. Life in a concert and and until that point I have never seen a female conductor Mm. so that was very exciting for me to see that and also I admire her how she made it I mean that many years ago it was much much more tricky as a woman Mm. to go through Mm. this uh yeah conducting life and she managed and yes um, so that's fascinating for me that they're so tough women Mm.
0: Mm. well um for the dear listeners i have interviewed simone young and i even asked her about being a trailblazer for female conductors in the interview so go back in through the archives and you'll find my Hi, interview I, with I simone young good, sure. yeah um i remember it well because she was stuck in a hotel room in sydney australia for two weeks and so she was captive audience we just chatted and chatted you know um <laughs> but yeah she I, I remember distinctly asking her about being a trailblazer and and so, yeah, it's a fascinating interview and very good choices. And I agree with you about Abado, you know, making music with friends. Let's go on to the next question, which some conductors have found harder, uh, which is to name your favorite current conductor or conductors.
1: François Xavier Roth is for me a very, one of the greatest because I like that, or I admire that you can do very early music and very modern music in, in, in different styles. And you never hear the person you yeah. always hear the composer and the piece. And I find that, yeah, super great. And, and I think not many people can do that, having such a huge range of, of styles and mm. making that happen. And another one is, uh, I, I admire also Pablo Jervi and his Kammer Philharmonie. Because Mm. they created a specific way how they interpret Beethoven, for example, or Schumann. And they found together this specific way of doing things together over such a long period. And that's still something what I I admire also in these times where, yeah, everything changes so quickly. And it's it's, it's a little bit of fast food society sometimes, I think. And it's very tricky to keep such things, such longer terms. And I admire that, that Mm. they can do
0: that yeah fast food right? it's a wonderful analogy yeah sometimes a good dish takes longer than you know you have to wait for it uh or even order it in advance you know some of these as, as a restaurant i'm desperate to go to in morocco where you have to order it 24 hours in advance um yeah and really? sometimes yeah, yeah it's a it's a lamb dish i seem to remember um and uh, Yeah, you have to order it twenty four hours ah, in advance. And, yeah, it's, it's slow. Cooked. Yeah, slow cooked, and it and it, you know and even when you're there, it comes when it's ready, and that you know that's what it should be. Sometimes you can't just always grab a Big Mac. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, sometimes yeah. a Big Mac is also nice, but this thing of yeah. uh, having time and enjoying, and also, I mean, how long did it take for Beethoven and Mozart to get from A to Z? Now we're just sitting in the in the plane, chatting f- uh, from from there to there, and we we will lose a bit also the feeling for for distance yes. and the whole life everything is so quick also mm. with our email system and mailing and sometimes i think it's too quick for the for the human being we're not we're not made for that and and that's why people also get this burning burned out problems i think because it's just too quick how sometimes how we live our lives and and oh yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: number six is what is the hardest work you've ever conducted
1: that was for sure Vasco de Gama from Mayabeer. I was Kapellmeister in Chemnitz, and uh, and my boss got sick, and then I had to jump in in a very short notice, and it's four hour fifteen minutes long, uh, and that was very tough. I mean, I have never, and I, yeah, I was more like I have not conducted that much, and that was really just going into the pit uh, just some hours before. Maybe I had three or four hours, I don't remember. But that was tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you've not done that much conducting, first of all, I'm sure you were, you know, you you've been repetitive on the on the the opera and you knew knew it. But the the problem is if you've not conducted that much, you don't know what conducting for four hours feels like. Uh but also much more importantly is you don't know what your brain feels like, you know, three hours into four hours of conducting. That's, you know, that's... That's you know that's a real journey of discovery. That's tough, um, and most of the time we learn. That's these why things. I
1: decided to take <laughs> some coke with me in the orchestra pit. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was the first and only one <laughs> because yeah, oh, yeah coca uh, They yeah. didn't like it yeah. that much, but I. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: but I was worried that my brain, or that I, I don't know, or that I'm so excited that at some point yeah. you're not yeah. excited anymore. You know that it's 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 like a marathon, mm. and if you have never done that a marathon and it's how long can you be excited then, and how much adrenaline do you have? And at at some at some point, as you know, the adrenaline goes away, and then the problems.
0: Yeah, then you sink. <laughs> yeah, you plummet <laughs> like a stone. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you you know you might need a Red Bull or a can of Coke or a, a you know whatever a pot of coffee. But uh, yeah, if you've never done it, I mean, most of us d- do our first long stints maybe with a youth orchestra, an amateur orchestra, or whatever else. You know, or you build your way up to something like that, or you do a, a one an hour and a quarter act and then there's an interval and you have to come back and do an hour and a half or whatever. But yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. Uh, I don't envy you that at all. Number seven, when traveling abroad to conduct, what item could you not leave home without?
1: My conducting shoes because I have special ones and sometimes I change them within a concert.
0: Oh, I don't think I've had that answer before. So you've got specific shoes to conduct in. Um, What makes them specific?
1: Uh, the first one I got from my mom and they were silver.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's just
1: about the color and about, and, uh, and I said, th- I had the feeling, oh, they bring me luck. Yeah. And now I have lots of, not lots of, but some silver shoes and, uh, and also, and then sometimes when I think maybe it's a little bit too much silver or whatever, then I, I have also black ones
0: Okay. or
1: different. So I like shoes. Yeah. And, and so. <laughs> And I and it's not so normal ones. So I I, I take them with me.
0: Yeah, it hasn't quite become. Uh, there was a conductor I interviewed earlier on, Matsola, Sola, who just randomly bought a, a new pair of glasses uh, where the frames were red. And they've almost become a trademark now that people expect him to wear red glasses. Uh, do people expect you to conduct <laughs> with silver shoes on? Uh, Not yet. Not yet. uh, But let's see. see. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Number eight. What's the one thing you would change about being a conductor?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, I would like to program whatever makes sense for me without uh, looking at the box office or looking at finances that would be super just about which combination would be super or good for the orchestra or interesting to program because I think we lose a little bit this variety and programming and we're all just afraid that maybe the audience will not like it but I think if we choose right programs just that the content is brilliant the music is brilliant or the combination like with foods that you find Mm. specific things or maybe also very crazy things, but there is audience because they, I think they want quality. And if we perform in the right way and bring the right compositions together, then I think it will be also successful. But at the moment, I'm a little bit, I think people are so much afraid and then it it goes into the best of 20 a little bit.
0: I'm I'm nodding away because I agree with you so wholeheartedly. I've had a couple of programmes, I'm not going to mention which orchestra, Um, or orchestras but one in in particular that drove me insane because the concerto I wanted to do was not very well known but it really fitted with the other two English pieces in the concert and this was an English viola concerto it would have been an incredible concert and I was told yeah you can have the overture yeah you can have the symphony but you've got to do the Greek piano concerto with it and it just didn't go and to this day I don't believe that there are people who come to concerts just to watch the Greek piano concerto we've all seen it so often I'm sure people would have rather have come and heard the York Bowen Viola Concerto because frankly, it's amazing and yeah, different yeah. and people wouldn't have heard it. But yeah, that, it's happened to me on a few occasions. And, yeah, and actually often it's been the Greek Piano Concerto that people put in. And I think, I always think to myself, Who's coming just to watch the Greek panegyric show? Um, you know, uh, I have yeah, never
1: it, conducted it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you! <laughs> Lucky you! Nobody
1: asked me. <laughs> yes. So it's I, very funny. I
0: mean, but, but, yeah, honestly, I agree I, I,
1: completely I, what you yeah, said. So yeah. I think we should be more brave and more art, art yeah, more artists, and just in, uh, and believe in the quality of yeah. art and programming.
0: Yeah. Uh, look, I've got nothing against the Greek piano concerto. It's a masterpiece for a reason. And I've had some wonderful experiences conducting it. But I, I just I you know I don't like the fact that it's used, you know. We, we can sell some more seats if you put the Greek in or Chike one or whatever it is, or you know, oh, yeah. um whatever. Uh sometimes take the risk and you'll maybe have a, m- a much more enriching experience. Anyway, uh, I'll get off my high horse and stop whing. <laughs> <laughs> number 9 what profession other than your own would you like to attempt
1: i think i would love to make documentaries and just Ooh. travel around the world having adventures discovering people nature these cultures interviewing people something like this yeah it, because it, that's also what i find super exciting about my job and yes uh, travelling around and learning new languages and people and getting to know what they're doing and culture yeah that's i find that extremely fascinating and so it event. sounds
0: like a travel a travel documentary tv presenter type person
1: yeah or, maybe why yeah. not
0: or or, or or would you i mean would you like to be in front of the camera or would you rather be behind the camera directing
1: uh actually i don't know it's more about that i just love to travel and to experience <laughs> and having adventures and yeah. i mean if you think about you have to make money with it or to, to to make a living out with it yeah then i don't know then you find something how you how you can sell that but yeah. it's, it's more that i'm very interested
0: yeah. In,
1: yeah. in lots of things and fascinated about people and their way of living
0: Number 10, which the listeners will know is my favorite question. And um, you've sort of mentioned the fact that you like food and drink and traveling. So hopefully your answer has got something to do with that. But number 10 for any new listeners out there is if the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink?
1: For sure, some self-made pasta with truffles and a nice glass of red wine, for
0: example. Mm. Oh, that's very nice. Uh, and um, are we talking raviolis or are we talking uh, spaghetti, linguine?
1: Tagliatelle.
0: What, tagliatelle with truffle and a glass of red wine. Simple yes, yet delicious. Just butter,
1: you know, just a little bit butter and nothing's, nothing too too much. It's just simple, but
0: oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Simple yet delicious. Mm. Really, really great answer. And I've had a great hour. It's been wonderful chatting and finding out all about you. And I hope in the future, and, you know, maybe you can cook it or we need it out. We bump into each other somewhere and we can have some pasta and a glass of Côte d'Azurone. It would be lovely, Anya.
1: Oh, that would be great. Yes. And thank you so much for having me and all the best for you and your podcast in the future. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, it's great for the classical music that you're doing that.
0: A Mic on the Podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat with a British conductor who started out as a professional flautist and keyboard player, but has gone on to have a long and distinguished conducting career since the 1980s, holding title positions in Australia, Sweden, the Republic of Ireland, the United Kingdom and the United States, where he now lives. But until then, bye-bye.